Hey guys, it's Dawn and I wanted to let you know about a new space I'm creating called What's the Truth Community. If you experience trauma in childhood, the truth can be really elusive. In toxic families, the truth of what goes on behind closed doors is hidden. And I speak to people every day who are only just now beginning to discover the truth of who they really are years later because we were given so many false beliefs about ourselves. Nobody loves you. You should be ashamed. You'll never amount to anything. All the lies are manipulation within toxic family homes. But each belief that gets filed away in your subconscious mind is so powerful. Each belief changes every choice you make, and that can change the entire direction of your life. If you are ready to create a beautiful life for yourself, come and join me in the What's the Truth community. By sharing truth, we are learning to step out of the fog and see what is the truth of your life so far. Because once you can see it, you can fix it. We are going to be talking about truth so that you can finally live in peace, freedom and authenticity. In the What's the Truth membership, you will have access to subscriber-only episodes, all ad-free and all for the cost of a cup of coffee a month. This is the most important community you will become a part of this year. If you listen via the Apple Podcasts app, you can sign up right there in the app. And if you listen on any other platform, you can sign up via Supercast. It's super easy and the links are in the show notes. This is your safe space. I'm so excited for you to join me. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So hearing these stories helps me to understand that I am not alone, that the people I sit next to in traffic or pass on the street are most probably hiding their pain, hiding their secrets, wearing a mask, wearing a smile, but I never see beyond the smile. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families 
I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friends, and welcome back for part two of our deep dive into the truth bombs from this year's podcast episodes. I don't know about you, but in a world that sometimes feels dark and lonely, I find a great deal of comfort in knowing that I share the world with women like the ones you are going to hear today. The world does feel shallow and mean and angry and literally crazy at times. I really feel the need to disconnect myself from a lot of it because I find it overwhelming. So hearing these stories helps me to understand that I am not alone, that the people I sit next to in traffic or pass on the street are most probably hiding their pain, hiding their secrets, wearing a mask, wearing a smile, but I never see beyond the smile. These stories show me that seemingly really outwardly put together humans are dealing with monumental amounts of stuff every day from the pain of what happened to them growing up. And just connecting in with that is hugely healing for me And then taking their wisdom and applying it in my own life has been life-changing, actually. If you'd like to hear the full episode of any of the women you hear in this compilation, the list of full episode numbers can be found in the show notes below. Please join me now for part two of our 2023 wrap-up. The first thing is for me, it's quiet listening. Quiet listening is just finding some place that there's no noise, just you and yourself, maybe you and your God, you and your plants, whatever, and really self-question. Ask yourself as if you were speaking to a child, because unless you become intimately familiar with what you like, what you desire, what you love, how you feel, and how that feeling directs your actions we will be disconnected from the truth of who we are. If we placate ourselves with all the things that we should get, and because Jane says to get it, Peter says to get it, and Paul likes you wearing a dress, whatever, or this occupation is desirous because everybody else says it, we don't get to know who we truly are. So it's almost like, how would you get to know your child? Treat yourself the same way. Have that conversation lovingly without judging. And it takes time, it takes patience, it takes care, and it really takes willingness and your consent, your agreement to say, today I did X, Y, and Z. What was that emotion that drove me there? Who was around me? Why did I feel I needed to do that? Why and what is it teaching me about myself that I need to learn? And when you get that message, Dawn, it's like saying, just because I get that message, 
it's real for me. This is how I feel. Even though your friend may not feel the same way, I feel it. So it's valid. And it's something that I must honor. And it's real because I'm living it. I'm experiencing it. It's my vulnerability. It's hard for us to do that because we are not taught to trust, to listen to ourselves. Coming back to my parents and how I was raised, we're not taught to self-inquire. I mentioned this in my second book, the act, the art of non-doing where you just sit still and be and feel and become aware of your surroundings, whatever that is, your internal world and what's happening. No one teaches you that. They say you're lazy. You're not doing something, right? So it's very important for us first to give ourselves permission to just listen, listen to the truth that comes up for us. I love that so much. I just feel so emotional (laughs) listening Mm. to you saying that because as women, especially, you know, we, we just don't do that for ourselves. And I think there's so much guilt in, in just allowing ourselves to spend the time, you know, (laughs) we, we just don't give ourselves time for that. And, and even, even though I know a lot of these things, you know, consciously, it's like, you still put it as the last thing on your list, right? Mm. You, you, I'll get to that. I'll get to really listening to myself when I've done these other 500 things that I've got to do first. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really taking the courage to listen to yourself. There's, there's some courage in there too, isn't there, to change yes, things. Yes, there's loads of courage. There's loads of courage. And I think for me, Dawn, because it was a battle to love myself. Mm. A battle. So even the first thing in the morning, just this quick practice, maybe it's one minute before I get out of the bed right there. It's not a long meditation. Maybe it's less than a minute. I'm like, oh, how do I feel? What do I want to do today? What do I desire? Just that self-witnessing, loving. Now when I invite my clients to do this, Tap into what love feels like just for yourself. It doesn't have to be a whole laundry list of things that intimidates us. Just in the moment you're sitting, you're brushing your teeth. Ah, look at you. It's like you self-talk. Let me just check out myself. You did a good thing today. Or what do you have planned? It's like you're having a chat with your son, your daughter, your, your cat. It doesn't have to be an event where we postpone it until the end of the day. It's in every moment of the day we catch ourselves and become aware of ourselves because awareness, our self-awareness is the first step to our changing what it is that we'd like to change in our lives. It's the first step in realizing, ah, this is how I feel. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I'd like to create. And that's how we begin to change the quality of our reality, just by being aware. So it's the first thing in the morning. Sometimes I have to, I'm stepping out of the bed. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm so, you know what I mean? So yeah. you invite that feeling. And slowly, it's just like a practice. So sometimes when I first began this, I attached this practice, one minute, whatever, to brushing my teeth, taking a shower. So literally, I started to dance in the shower because that evoked just moving joy and another emotion other than depression. That was very propelling for me in the beginning. I said, I just found a way to combat or to balance the other emotions that I was feeling because all the darkness was so prevalent. It's just the small things, being more aware, putting a post-it in your house. And when you see that yellow post-it, you know, ah, dance time or humming time or seeing myself and celebrating what I did today, whatever, whatever little tricks we have to do to help us remember that 
we need our own love too. My shrink gave me a piece of advice that I, I still use to this day when I'm feeling very uncertain of things. And it was, at the time, it was just try to walk in the direction of not awful. Because at the time, I couldn't feel joy or I couldn't feel anything that wasn't awful. Everything felt awful, right? I was either crying or I was enraged or I was crying about the fact that I was enraged. You know, like it was it was just miserable all around. Yeah. And the idea of trying to find happiness seemed so absurd. So she compromised and she said, just walk in the direction of what doesn't hurt or of what's not awful. And so I tried to get back to as basic as possible. I tried to remember what did I like to do as a child before everything went wrong or what, what used to make me feel cozy. And for me, as hilarious as it is, it's doing laundry. I fucking hate doing laundry, but it is something that I used to do with my grandmother religiously. She loved doing laundry. Oh my goodness. You put this woman in front of a washer dryer and she was with a <laughs> romance novel and she was set. She loved it. She used to get mad at me when I did the laundry because she wanted to do the laundry. And so I started there. So I just, and, and I, I built my day around the laundry as insane as that sounds. And that ritual, that, that thing to anchor my day, that was the start because then it was, okay, I only have to survive the next hour and a half. And then I'm going to go move the laundry. I only have to survive the next 45 minutes and then I'm going to go hang the laundry. And, and so it let me divvy my days up into these itty bitty little chunks because the idea of surviving a whole year was the idea of surviving a whole week or a whole day just seemed completely undoable, but I could, I could survive a wash cycle that I could do. And, and, and so I built it from there. I started making the coffee first thing in the morning because I love, I'm drinking it right now. I started watering my plants as, as often as they would let me without dying. I, I started getting out in the sun every day and strapping my child to me and we would go walk along the highway. And so I just very, very slowly found these little things that didn't hurt and then eventually, like a year and some change later, I was, I, I was having lengths of time of not hurt often enough that then the idea of what might feel good started to be envisionable. And now my kid is four and a half, which is fucking terrifying. And now most days are what might feel good to do today. Some days I still don't know because, you know, trauma hangs around forever. And some days I can't because I have a four and a half year old and he doesn't give a shit about what might feel good to me. But, <laughs> yeah. but still like now I'm able, I, I am well enough that most days I'm able to come at it from a space of what would I like to do today out of the things I need to do. 
not how can I escape the things I don't want to do today, mm-hmm. which is where I was to begin with. My world was shaking. I had this prototype picture of this perfect family situation from my home and it was rendered into into scraps it was burned to the ground so i was referred to a mental clinic i started uh, taking medication and i stayed in this clinic for six weeks myself and we tried two different types of drugs and the second type thankfully helped me the suicidal thoughts went completely away and it was really funny because it wasn't even it was without me realizing it like as easy as they crept in they just disappeared like a cloud they just disappeared into thin air and if my psychiatrist during one one of our sessions hadn't asked me how are your suicidal thoughts evolving i wouldn't have thought about it. i was like how it's funny that you ask because i haven't had them in like days or weeks maybe even they just went away in thin airs if I had never had them. And you know, that is what's so dangerous about, about depression is I don't think it's taken seriously enough, particularly from our culture. And I don't think mental illness is being taken seriously enough. I don't think it's being discussed enough. And I think we should be shaking this culture off of us because depression is not thought of as a deadly illness. But your brain kills you. Your brain kills you. It gets to you. So now I'm doing therapy once a week. I'm trying to avoid stress. I started meditating. I realized, like, I'm reading books. I'm trying to, I'm starting to realize what trauma looks like, what child trauma looks like. And, uh, you know, they say you cannot change others. You can only change yourself. But whenever I recognize trauma, I just say, maybe you need help. Because that's something that was never told to me. I was never told, maybe you need help. You know, I had to crawl out of a hole. I had to crawl out of the hole myself. And, you know, like I was bleeding everywhere. And like people next to me were bleeding. Like it has spill effects. You're not the only one suffering. People around you suffer. Society suffers as a whole. That is why I think it's so important. And uh, yeah, so now I'm, I'm, I'm doing therapy. I'm just, and like I said, I'm just trying to rediscover myself. I'm trying to figure out like, who, who are you? Like, who is Anna? What do you like? What do you like to do? You know, and I have always been an overachiever, you know, and that is why many people were also surprised when I, when I decided to start a family, you know, like I'm getting kids and you were like, wow, who could tell, you know, who knew? We always thought that you were this big career chaser. And I was, I am, I mean, I still am, I am. And, and I'm just trying to figure out, is that part of me or is it that part of trauma? And uh, so I'm trying to reduce my stress input. I'm trying to reduce my working hours. I am just trying to read more books concerning these topics. I'm hearing podcasts concerning these topics of, you know, like people just making their voice heard and their experience talked about. And I'm just trying to recognize my triggers and avoid them because at the beginning, you know, and I think this is rooted to my perfectionism at the beginning. I was just, oh, my God, tell me what to do. Tell me what can I do just to just to get better, just to 
to to heal from this terrible disease, you know, that I got. I, I went again into this active mode. I just wanted to unpack everything, like take every skeleton out of my closet and just polish it, you know, make it look nice and just put it on a chair and say, this is not a skeleton anymore. You know, that's part of decoration, you know, and I realize now that that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. You know, like this is part of yourself. This is who you are. This is part of you. You know, you cannot just whip it under a carpet. You know, you have to talk about it. You have to wear it as an armor, you know, because it makes you stronger. And uh, you can heal, but you cannot get cured. One of my clients, she's a 55-year-old senior vice president at this large bank, very, very successful. During our coaching work, she said, or she discovered that she wanted to start her own business, but it was a creative business. And for Asians, we're not allowed to do creative work. And so she, she told me, I'm going to have to wait to do it when my dad passes. And I was like, oh, okay. And so when we dug into it, what she shared with me is she goes into little girl mode. And she goes into this little girl mode when she fears her dad's disapproval or disappointment. And her dad had always said, you've got to be a president at a company. And, you know, she's vice president now, not there. And mind you, her dad was 85 at this point and she's afraid of his disapproval. And yet she was so afraid to have conversations with him. She's like, I'm not going to go there. He's just going to mansplain me. He's going to, you know, criticize me. I'm, I don't want to go through with that. And I started seeing this pattern among a lot of my clients. So then I started becoming curious, what are the stories that I have that I'm holding about my parents and our relationship? And I start jotting down all those, I call them myths, right? The stories. And I had a lot of them, like my success will never be good enough for my parents, or they are unhappy that I didn't marry a good Chinese boy, or that being a boy is better than being a girl, or that I can never repay them for their sacrifices. So just all these stories that I had, and I started conversations with my parents on those things, but starting it was not easy. Mm -hmm. So when I first asked my dad, he was like, I was like, you know, could we have some conversation just, you know, not, not just logistical things, but, you know, really meaningful conversations. And he was like, well, I don't have anything interesting to share. Maybe you should talk to your uncle. He's a lawyer. He's probably got more important things than I have to share. Right. And, and so even that notion that a lawyer has something more important to say than me. Right. Like, and so I told him, no, I want to hear your stories. And at first, my parents were really hesitant. So I, I warmed them up by asking very simple things like, what's your favorite color? What were your favorite activities when you were a child? You know, tell me, how did you like to play? So really getting them warmed up to me asking deeper questions. But once we got warmed up and we started diving into these deeper questions, they started opening up more. But I will say out of the 40 hours, the first 20, 25 hours filled with emotions, resentment, anger, like a lot of triggering on both sides. And we would often have to pause the conversations and just be like, all right, let's resume later. And I would come home, I would be in tears. And it was my husband who was the support system. I, I, I would often tell him like, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, what is your why? Why, why are you doing this? Right? Like what type of relationship do you want with them? And he would remind me keeping that top of mind, like why I'm doing this. And then I would chill out, rest, and then go back. Mm -hmm. And 
now on the other end of this, our relationship is completely different. One example. So I, I was actually going through fertility treatments and I had an embryo transfer and I was afraid to tell my parents that it was not successful because with my sister, when she had miscarriages, they blamed her. They said, you must have done something right. And that's the, the Asian way. It's, it's always your fault. Something you did caused it. And so they blamed her. And so obviously that does not feel very good. And so I was afraid to tell them, but my dad called me and he's like, Oh, when do you find out, you know, how are you feeling? And I, I felt this tightening, you know, in my chest, in my throat, but I mustered the words out and I said, it didn't work. I don't, I don't, I'm not pregnant. It's gone. It's over. And I was like bracing myself for the response and the criticism and the blame. And I was so surprised because my dad said, you know, things happen for a reason. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, fate, fate, fate is funny that way. And then my mom picks up the phone and I'm just like, Oh, what's she going to say? And she picks up, she's like, are you okay? Do you, do you need me to come over? Are you okay? You know, don't, don't be upset. And, and I was just like, Holy shit, who are these people? (laughs) Because prior to the conversations, I don't think they would have responded in that way. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm very close to my dad. My dad is my best friend. I could tell him everything. And I also am like that with my boyfriend. I've known him since seventh grade. He chased after me for all the years. And I was like, no, that's weird. And then I finally (laughs) gave in. That whole little silly little high school love story. So over time, he has grown to understand and know. And at points in his life, he has watched my mom in action of how she can act. He experienced it with his dad at one point, which he's great. He's completely flipped around, doing great for himself. So he really gets it. So he is my person. He is 100%. When the world is crashing down on me, he's lifting it up and carrying me through it. So he's like the therapist for me, kind of. My safe space, consistency for sure. But outside of him, I just find things that I enjoy doing. I like working out, going to the gym. I love doing that. Driving is like therapy to me. Sometimes I just get my car and I drive and it, it works for me. You know, I think everybody has their ways to cope and their ways to heal. And that's just mine. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. Just getting out and driving. I haven't heard anybody say that so far. It's kind of like just clearing your brain, isn't it? Something else yeah. to focus. And so for anybody struggling with or after parental addiction, What words of advice would you offer to anybody listening? It is not your fault. You will wake up and you will think, what could I have done? 
why didn't I say anything? And it wasn't your responsibility. It's not your responsibility now. They are not going to change until they want to change. Their children cannot make them change. Their spouses cannot make them change. Their own parents can't. They have to want it themselves. And the best thing that you can do is find your people who understand you and who care for you and love from a distance. Don't enable. Don't let them guilt you. Just love them if you if you believe in anything. Pray for them and just watch from a distance. Mm, I love that advice. It's like you've still got love, but you're not going to let them come in and kind of mess it all up for you, right? That's it's beautiful don't, advice. Don't be afraid to burn a bridge. Yeah, we shared at the beginning that you you have learnt from listening to other stories on this podcast. What would you say was something that sticks in your mind as a learning that you've gained so far? There was somebody on here, and they were just kind of like find who you are don't let it define who you are and I really do think about that a lot yeah it's such an important one isn't it I think growing up with toxic parents of all types we do feel like it's part of us and it really is so important to understand we can actually put that aside and step out as our own beautiful incredible selves because that doesn't define us Every ancient culture, Australian Aborigines, every culture has a killing ritual where you're killing these different parts that are blocking your evolution. No, I can't. I can't. No, I'm really scared and I can't. Kill it. Kill it. It came to you. It didn't come from you. It's not the truth. Kill it. And then you release it out of your body and then that part can grow. You can love it. It's like, oh, thank you for protecting me. Because if I could, I would have been in danger at that time. Acting dumb protected me in situations, but then it blocked my growth, you know. So killing rituals is that. It's just killing. And after a death, there's a rebirth. Mm. there's no rebirth unless there's a death there's no rebirth buddha says remember the face you were before you were born and we all can remember who you were when you were a real little child before you had to develop all of these survival personas to be good for mummy to love you daddy to love you remember who you were Mm. because yeah, we can all all do that. We can remember ourselves. So you're you're that's who you are. That's the essence of your of who you are. And you've been going through this unconsciousness where you separated from yourself. And the more you clear all of that, the more you remember and you come back to that. You yes. come back to yourself. Mm. Of course, as a mature adult. But the essence, the frequency of that little baby that you were, that you remember, comes back. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And I talk about that so much. People get so caught up with where they are now and who they are now. And it's like, just take yourself back to that pure love that you were. You were born here as this pure love. You didn't know about hate or judgment. You didn't know about any of that. That's actually who you are. And it's 
such a beautiful thing to really connect in with that. There was a time where I'd have a group of people on standby that whenever I felt any physical pain, I knew who to call to immediate release it. You know, I had the chiropractor, the massage therapist, the physio, the naturopath, the acupuncturist, and you know, the list goes on. And eventually I learned that I needed to be able to just sit with the pain for a bit longer, you know, and that true recovery was going to come from acknowledging what I was experiencing and feeling that pain and realizing it, it wasn't going to stay forever, that it would shift and change. And, you know, it's very hard time when you're in the awful stage of recovering from chronic illnesses, because you're usually not sleeping, which is, you know, a massive problem in itself. You're not digesting food very well. You're still having to make a living in some way. And, you know, it's very hard to find a grip on something, something to hold to because it's emotionally taxing, it's mentally taxing. You feel destabilized on all fronts. And I had this amazing naturopath who was able to really listen to me. And when I said, that's not working for me and this is working, she would change tack. And so she trusted what was coming up from my body, which then meant I could trust it more. You know, And it's finding people who acknowledge that you have access to and your wisdom is just as vital as their expertise. I remember at times during the thick of it, I was on medication to keep the anxiety down because I couldn't handle that right now. And so it's it's going, okay, here's the chunk I'm going to work on right now. Okay, we're just going to focus on diet, which means I need some support with sleep and anxiety. When you get the diet sorted, then you can take, you know, you go, right, now it's time for the anxiety or now it's time for the sleep or whatever it is. You sort of just need to tackle one piece at a time because there's just so much of it. It's not just random. Like I was actually creating or allowing that into my into my reality, getting out of that victimhood mode, even though of course we're victims at times, but going forward in my life, knowing that I'm dealing with everything that happened to me growing up, but also there is hope because you can start to heal. And a healer that I used to live with, she said a beautiful statement and it was, it's never too late to have a good childhood. And that always stuck with me and still drives me to keep healing my inner child. And and when my son triggers me, of course, on my inner child stuff, it reminds me of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that actually. It's never too late to have a good childhood. Inner child healing is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And how, how important has it been for you? It's really important, but as we were talking about it, the, the generational trauma healing is so important too. And for those of you that are a bit woo-woo, there's also past life trauma. But a few times I've actually gone into and healed the generational trauma myself. So, for example, I would go out with my partner and we'd go out to a restaurant and I'd have like really weird thoughts of I can't eat this, there's not enough food in the world. Or I go to the supermarket and I start going into freeze and I'm like there's not enough food in the world and I'm like panicking. And and until someone tells you that it's weird, sometimes you don't realise it because that's just like how you Normal. always think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like and then I realised and then I had a root cause therapy session done on me and it took me back to I was my grandma in Sri Lanka and she was holding a baby and she had two little kids around her and I could, you could, don't see it like the room, but you sense it. Like you sense that you're, and I'm a woman, I'm at a sink and I'm, I've got some food. And there was like a little bit of an older girl there and she only had a little bit of rice to feed all the kids. And she was just 
I felt how my grandma felt. I felt absolutely stressed and devastated and just overwhelmed. And I was able to, because that lives in my body, my grandma's DNA and memories are in our body, just as our looks are in our DNA as well. So our traumas and memories. So I literally experienced what that was like for her. And then I shifted that. And then I spoke to my mom and I said, mom, I have this memory come up and I just want to validate it if it's true or not. And I said, this is who it was. This is the average ages of the baby and the the little the toddlers. And then there was a little, there was an older girl. And my mom's like, oh my God, yeah, that was me. That was my two brothers and my cousin who would come and look after us because they lived in a village on a farm. And she said, at that time, my grandfather's business collapsed and they didn't have enough food to feed the kids. And she totally, and I had never heard it. No one had ever told me ever. And she totally validated that memory that I was able to process for my grandma and not pass on, not pass down. And also I can enjoy restaurants now and go to the supermarket without freaking out that there's not enough food. And there was a lot, I've done ones for my, on my dad's side. So your maternal, your paternal side, sometimes you can go back more generations, but when our grandparents have been through war or starvation, it, it affects our behaviors in this life. So yes, inner child healing is important, but sometimes it, it the root cause is something different. So it's not the be all and end all mm-hmm. of work. I have to be honest, my mother didn't really treat me well during that time. And I remember her closing the door after being with me for two weeks and just saying, I'll never have my mother help me again. And so just being honest about what what is happening, the life that you're actually living. I think if we can just start with telling the truth and telling the whole truth, then we can work our way towards reconciliation. Mm, so yeah. true, isn't it? It is it is about the truth and the truth is so hard. It's so hard to say, but I can't now spend time with my mother. Like nobody wants to say that. We all want the relationship, right? I mean, you get to that point and that's why we end up getting stuck is because we can't make that decision. It's such a a strong, difficult decision to say, I'm not going to spend time with my mom. Absolutely. And I mean, but for me, it was me and her had always just never had the best relationship. And I was just also tired. I'm exhausted. So I also think that if you if you can still bear it, most people will. I, I couldn't bear it anymore after passing out at a club. I couldn't bear it anymore after feeling alone in, in a country for three weeks. I couldn't bear it any longer when the first time that I'm actually handicapped and un, and, and and not able to be this superwoman, this is how I get treated by my mother. I could no longer bear it and I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't lie about it. I, you know, I, I just couldn't go further. Mm. And so I I actually work with women where I can totally see that they're going to continue in their hypervigilance. They're going to continue into hiding the most vulnerable parts of their life. And then you'll see these same women incredibly insecure. And when I always talk to them, how's your mother, how's your relationship with your mother? They also aren't really honest about the real relationship and its impact, or they make up a story that suits them to to help them to keep going on. And I think at that point, it's not my job to, to tell you. We want you to get there in your own time. But I certainly, when I hear them talk, I can see the many times that I did the same thing. 
as time went on, I had a bit of a realisation and it was a conversation with a friend and she said to me, everything that you need in life is within you. And that was just like an awakening for me. I got goosebumps and I'm like, wow. And I think I had been looking externally for everything. Like I'd been looking externally for love and for validation, for self-worth, for self-esteem. And it was like this moment of like, like just pure, like love, like, oh my goodness, I can provide that to myself. Mm. I can look within and I, I've got everything that I need within me. And that was huge for me. So I started to go along this sort of spiritual path where, uh, you know, I've gotten into yoga and just started to look within and find, find myself. And I did a course called self-love school. And I think that was also the first time that I ever really looked at like, what does it mean to love ourselves? Like that was just such a foreign concept to me. So I did that and yeah, that was huge. That got me into a good routine. Like exercise has always been a huge part of my life. So with exercise and meditation and and looking within and having this knowing now that I have everything that I need within me. I, I have, yeah, I've got I've got it all here. So that has been a huge part of my healing. Yeah. And then also part of this healing has has forced me to to look back on my relationship with my mom and look back on how I processed my grief after the, that loss. And then in 2020, my stepdad passed away and I'd lost touch with him about 14 years prior and his mental health had declined and I didn't realise and he ended up being a recluse. And when he passed away, I got access to his house as I was the next of kin. And in the cupboard in my bedroom, I found all of my mum's journals. So revisiting the house where like that was the last time I saw my mum alive. So 2020, it was like a gift in some ways. Like it, it was horrific having to see the house and the way he had deteriorated. And like there was a side of that that was very horrific, but there was also a side that I felt like it was a gift to me from my mom and a chance to reconnect with her again so I spent I spent ISO we went into ISO during COVID lockdowns going through the journals and writing my story down and I think it was all just so healing like learning about her life and what she had suffered it helped me reconnect with her and going to that house helped me reconnect with her and allowed me to connect with the love the loving part of her and the part of her that loved me and that kind of just opened me up again. And I feel like I reading her journals, I found that compassion for her again. And I found that love for her again. And I reconnected and the forgiveness just came and all of the anger just melted away. And now I just look back on her with so much love and so much like I'm so proud of her. Yeah, like just absolutely so proud of her because she fought for her life. Like she fought so hard and she gave it everything and she gave it everything for us and her life was hell. Her life was a living misery and she fought for me, you know, she did. And so now I do not look at back on her with any anger. I just honestly am so proud of her 
and I'm so grateful, grateful because she's given me so much strength and so much resilience and so much love. And I feel like I've got so much love for my children because of everything that she's given me and everything I've been through. And I feel like my role now is to break the cycle, break the cycle of the mental health trauma that's been in our family and that I was perpetuating until I sort of had this awakening. So my job now is to help my children and break that cycle and give them the love that she gave to me and and just sort of move forward with love. When I was in law school in New Zealand, a girl asked me once, who wins when you win? And I that really impacted me. I was like, no one, no one wins. And then I thought about it more. I was actually, the people that win when I win are little kids that grow up like me, little kids in foster homes, people that just don't know life is actually pretty great. And so I'm writing the book predominantly so I can advocate to these kids, hopefully start a foundation out of it and just teach them actually no matter how traumatic your upbringing was, there is a way out and I can help you with that. I can show you the way out. Life is so good. Just give it some time. And so really it's this concept of who wins when you win. So book foster kids win when I win. I think the book's a massive win. Mm, I love that so much. What is the thing that kids in a situation that you've been in, what is it do you think that they need the most? Hope. Hope. 100%. They need hope and compassion because for them it is literally they know no different in the life that they're living right now and that life is hell. So just to give them a little glimmer of hope and a path out, a plan. I mean, that's what I really appreciated is someone sat down with me and said, who do you want to be, Coralie? And I said, I want to be not a drug addict. I don't want to be a criminal. Someone sat down with me and they walked me through how I could do that. It was pretty easy, but it didn't feel easy to me at that point. Especially I'd never really been encouraged to take school that seriously. And then when I was fostered almost immediately, I really learned that I was quite good at school. I loved school and then went down that route. I told my foster parents I wanted to be a lawyer and they helped me in every single way possible. They gave me structure. I mean, this one thing that my foster mother, Megan, always used to tell me is dig deep, Coralie. Whenever life just got a little bit tough, dig deep, Coralie. And now when I'm like sitting there writing a really long, stupid essay, I just think, oh, dig deep. I think that's cool, that hope there that actually I can do it. I know that I can do it. But something I've learned through therapy and these other things is that you can live in the exact same house and have the exact same parents and still have totally different outcomes and different, you know, their experience with them could have been different than mine. I mean, mine was this horrific thing, but maybe for them, I mean, I don't know. So as I've gone through this, that's given me some acceptance to be like, I don't need them to co-sign what I'm saying because I know what happened to me. I was there. And even if they believe this narrative about me, that's okay. But it has felt like rebuilding a human being from nothing to heal. It has felt like starting from devastation and slowly putting little pieces at a time back together. And it has changed everything about me as a person. And I've had to grapple with that. And it's just taken time, so much time. And I think this little inner urge that you can't not survive because what is the other option? 
you know, mm. and just having other people that aren't in that sick system hear my story and be and and validate who I am as a human being. And so in my situation, that doesn't come from immediate family that comes from other people. And it's just given me so much conviction that even if you lose your family, which is the last thing that you want, and even if they have broken you until you don't even know how to function anymore, there is hope that you can slowly be okay. And I think I've just held on to that with both hands and it's starting to slowly like, you know, pay off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I guess it's about getting to a point that that turning point is really about truth, isn't it? Because yeah. you can deny it forever. You can even partially deny it forever. But all of a sudden when you do see the full truth and you realize what's actually happening, what you will accept you know, we, we really do need to acknowledge what's happened to us in order to heal, I suppose. Yes. And I think having knowledge and the right words to know what has happened to you is so important to know that there are terms and there's types of abuse and there's names for addiction and to just know, because when you don't know, you think it's just you and you're the problem especially as a kid. And I spent so much of my life knowing that my dad was this, from my experience, this very scary, scary human being that I spent so many years as a teenager wondering what to do about it, staying up all night, wondering if he was going to murder my mother because of what I was experiencing and being told, to also having to look at my other parent who had been so long someone that I fiercely tried to protect to be like they abused me too and once I put those two things together and I had that clarity and that knowledge that's how you move forward once you can put into words and, and say it and it's true and you know it then I think you can start to to heal you for being on this journey of healing and community with me if you listen on apple i would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast it would mean a lot check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode if you're on instagram follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.